Hello and welcome to the first episode of Aviation and Space Alerts. This is a podcast where two aviation and space attorneys bring the latest news, developments, and war stories from the aviation and commercial space industries. I'm Joe Hardy. I'm the founder and an attorney with Hardy Law. And Jason Kemp, who is of counsel with Hardy Law, will also be here. But at least for this first episode, as the COVID-19 pandemic rages on, and we are both under shelter-in-place orders, uh, we will be contributing to this podcast separately. And in fact, that ties into our topic for this first episode, which is general aviation during the pandemic. Of course, like everybody else, Jason and I have been trying to keep up with the challenges and changes daily of this pandemic, uh, both at home and work. Luckily, we've been able to continue helping out our clients as they're facing some really massive upheavals in the aviation and commercial space industries. So for this episode, we just wanted to share with you some of the more unusual issues we've been seeing as we do that. Specifically, we're going to cover four topics. The first one is about closing aircraft sales during the pandemic. Second one is over airports, their users, and the COVID-19 crisis. Third topic will be about the recent uptick we've seen in the FAA enforcing illegal charter operations. And fourth and finally, we'll talk about the recent extension of the NBAA small aircraft exemption with a couple of new twists. This episode actually tracks a written version of Aviation Space Alerts that we just sent out to clients and friends, and we've posted a copy of that alert, the written version, on our website, which is aviationspacelaw.com. You can find that there if you didn't already get it by email, as well as previous written editions of our Aviation Space Alerts on our website. Plus, there you can read a little bit more about Jason and myself and about what we do. Uh, But in a nutshell, uh, I have been a commercial pilot for 30 years and an attorney for a little over 20 years. Jason, before we teamed up about five years ago, he worked for the Federal Aviation Administration and the Jacksonville Airport Authority. And before Jason became a lawyer, he served with the U.S. Air Force as an aviation maintenance technician. And together, our mission is to help people avoid really big mistakes with their aircraft and spacecraft. And before we start our show, just a little lawyer disclaimer, uh, but seriously, anything we say here, please do not take as legal advice specific for your situation. It really is true that every situation is different and facts and circumstances really do make a lot of difference from person to person and case to case. And what we talk about here will be general and broad in nature. And um, so whatever situation you're facing, please consult your attorney or other advisor and just take what we say as some good background information, hopefully interesting, but proceed with uh, anything specific to your situation only through advice through your counselor or other advisor. Our first topic for this episode is closing aircraft sales during the pandemic. And yes, despite everything that's going on and slowdowns and social distancing, uh, these are still happening. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of unusual twists here. And here are a few issues that we've run into for you to think about. 
First of all, the Federal Aviation Administration had tried instituting a 72-hour quarantine for paper documents filed with them uh, to, of course, avoid spread through, through paper um, of the virus. And these are critical documents, of course, for closing any aircraft sale, such as a FAA aircraft bill of sale, registration applications for the airplane, lien releases, etc., uh, but shortly after that, they rescinded that quarantine. And what we have now, uh, at least during the last closing we had a, a couple days ago, was that they are using a Dropbox to where you can put physical documents into a room where you won't see any FAA people at the filing desk, which is in contrast to the, the normal practices. Um, the folks in Oklahoma City will walk directly up to the FAA filing window hand them the documents, and immediately get stamped documents show the time of filing. So this, of course, is a little different. And uh, so you don't know exactly when you drop those papers off when they will be filed. And that can cause a little heartburn and a little uncertainty based on other things keyed off of these closings. However, what we've been seeing is that the delay caused by this has been around one to three hours, or between one to three hours. And at least for our closing so far, that has been very manageable, especially when you know going into it that that is going to happen. Um, uh, even, even the title insurance folks at Avshore, they are issuing a, uh, an endorsement that will date back to the time of, when, of the, when you dropped off the documents. So you don't lose any delay there. And we haven't seen any other, any other damage resulting from those delays. But, I mean, that's one option. Uh, keep in mind that the FAA has been, for several years now, not only accepting e-signed documents, such as DocuSign, but also submitting those documents for filing, like those bills of sale and lien releases and registration applications, through email submission. So you can avoid that physical drop-off and whether there's a delay in picking them up and... Um, or any, if any quarantine is reissued, you can bypass that completely during this time and any time by using that e-signature and email submission. Now, normally, um, and I'd have to check the exact specifics on this because I haven't had to worry about it before, but the I think there at least was or is temporarily suspended a limit on 20 pages for those documents. Uh, and I think right now those have been that limitation has been suspended so that you can file any and all documents that way bypassing the physical and sending them all electronically. Um, don't have the specifics now. If you face that, of course, check the actual what rules in place for any of these because they do change daily. But in any event, we, as well as much of the industry, have been moving more and more toward electronic signatures when enclosing these aircraft transactions and the email filing and if there has ever been a reason to really embrace that and go fully forward on, on that type of filing and closing, this is it. The thing we've been seeing is that if you're buying an airplane and planning to put it onto a Part 135 charter program, then keep in mind there's some confusion, but you may be facing a long delay before the FAA will send out an inspector uh, to... And to give the conformity check to allow that airplane to go on to the 135 charter operation. Again, we're getting some mixed signals on this. Uh, of course, the, well, the, it is pretty clear that the FAA is resisting 
to sending out their inspectors in the field, understandably, to avoid the spread to themselves and others. Uh, but we've also been hearing that it, they may be granting exemptions or waivers or deferrals to those conformity checks, uh, depending on certain conditions. But that is, we haven't had any strong guidance on that yet. So at least for now, I, I would we're assuming that you are going to face a long delay um, until we hear otherwise or investigate. And here again, since the inspections are done uh, by location, location, depending on what flight standard district office of the FAA is closest to you, uh, they often will have different policies and practices from office to office. So that's one case where it will really depend on where you're located. A third thing, and this one really snuck up and kind of took us by surprise, but makes sense when you put the pieces together. Uh, so hopefully others will keep this in mind ahead of time. Uh, some states you probably heard are restricting visitors from certain other states that they consider hot spots for COVID-19. So if you are going to pick up a new airplane, or if you're sending pilots that you're hiring or work for you to pick up an airplane, keep in mind that if you or your pilots have been to one of these hotspot states, then um, the state where you're supposed to pick up that airplane may not let you in for a certain amount of quarantine time. And uh, of course, that can cause delays on closing, or you can try to find workarounds to the closing, such as accepting the airplane remotely and um, picking the airplane up later. And that causes other sub-issues like how do you do that final checkout? Do you delay the final checkout? Do you waive the final checkout since nobody will be there in person? Uh, do you hire a separate flight crew to pick it up? Uh, of course, you may probably want yourself or your trusted pilots to do that but you don't have to necessarily. And if you do accept remotely and um, waive that and wait for your pilot to get there, then will you have to pay rent to the seller since it's not their plane anymore? Uh, make sure you have insurance covering the right people. And you know, also keep in mind that um, some states will charge sales tax if you purchase an airplane and don't get it out of their state within a certain time frame, often that's 10 days. So you might have to find a workaround to do that if you were planning on, if your sales tax structure didn't involve paying sales tax to the state of purchase. And we're going to end this topic there. Um, there are many issues, more issues that we've seen and more more issues I'm sure that we haven't seen, but those were just some of the, the more interesting ones that have been popping up that we thought we'd share. So now Jason is going to share with you some big issues that are facing airports from this pandemic. Hello, Jason Kemp here. I hope you all are doing well, staying safe, and finding your way during this uh, crazy and uncertain pandemic. It is affecting everybody. Of course, the aviation industry uh, gets hit hard when something like this happens. That also includes our airports. Uh, the airports are very unique. It's a very unique uh, business center. Um, and yet it's, it's a force multiplier for the economy. So everybody wants to get these airports uh, back online or, or keep them online, uh, but also remain uh, great thriving business centers for their local communities. And so we, we want to talk about a few uh, issues and maybe a couple of uh, 
ideas to uh, kind of ease how this is affecting the airports. Uh, first, most everybody has heard now there's a stimulus package through that has approximately $10 billion that are earmarked for airports. Uh, the same is true with uh, air carriers. There is relief being made available, and those processes are being established for getting access to that relief. Now, we link to it in the print version of this update, and I highly recommend that you stay on top of that. We will be as well, um, because it's it's nice to hear that you have the support of federal legislators, um, but we need to see in practice how that's that's going to unfold. So if you're in a situation as a tenant uh, at an airport or you're an airport itself, what are we supposed to do with the issues in front of us? Some of the operators are noticing a, a huge drop-off in revenues, but the rent is still due. Uh, the fees are still having to be paid. And as an airport, like I said, this is not your typical landlord-tenant relationship. The airports are heavily heavily regulated. And um, everything that the airport does um, really is going to be scrutinized at some level. Um, and, and you may have heard of the grant assurances that they have to abide by whenever receiving federal grant money. We want to make sure that any fix that comes down the road for the operators, airlines, concessionaires, it will withstand scrutiny. So what do we do? First and foremost, the FAA is producing a lot of guidance, or I'll at least say prompt guidance on how to manage these issues. There was an initial guidance put out on March 28th. Uh, and quickly to follow on April 4th with further guidance for airports on how to um, mitigate some of the economic crunch issues while also giving guidance, you know, non-binding, not legally binding guidance, but some guidance on on uh, whether or not that would violate a grant assurance. So what are you to do? I uh, highly recommend this. It's great advice for most any relationship, and it's over-communicate. Right now is not the time, probably, for most people to dig their heels in and, and shake their fist and, and make demands. Um, however, because this relationship between airports and the operators, who really do need each other, um, this is an opportunity to put all of the uh, options on the table and find out what works, what's going to keep the airport going, what's going to keep the businesses going that are based at the airport. So put all the options on the table, find out what relief is available to you. Is it insurance? Is it federal aid, state aid? Um, what can the airports do? You know, can they abate or can they um, defer some rent? These are some of the options being discussed, but really it is important to bring that to the airport and for the airport to in turn ask the operators like what what can we do to make this work for both of us ideally you're going to come up with a win-win solution for both um, part of that 
might be a public forum. The FAA has uh, stated a desire for the airports to de- you know, develop some sort of consensus with its operators, with, with everybody who's using the airport on what an appropriate fix is to keep the airport self-sustaining so that there is going to continue to be an airport, to be a business center for the community. Uh, but also recognizing things have changed. Um, so there, there could be a renegotiation of rent. Fair market value might have changed during this, this time. So, again, it's important to over-communicate. Hopefully you can have an open forum if that works best for you. And by the way, that open forum really is going to look a little different because of the times that we're in. So um, there's a lot of good resources out there um, as far as, you know, it's going to vary state to state on what constitutes an open forum or or an open meeting. And uh, can that be done virtually? So I would encourage you to look into that so that you don't have these side deals going on with the airport, which the airports know generally you're not, um, not to do. So um, also during this time, take, some notes about what is working and what is not. This pandemic really kind of caught a lot of us by surprise. So if you weren't in preparation mode at some point in the last couple of years, you're probably having to do a lot of things on the fly and, and adapting to what the governor's office is saying, what president Trump is saying. Um, So, it's a good time now to take good notes on what is working and what is not. So once this has passed, then you have the framework for a plan or policy that you can put together to say, should this happen again, here is what we're going to do. Um, and then again, sometime down the road, revisit some of these fixes that you've put into place and say, okay, is, is this something we need to continue to do? Um, but we highly encourage folks to over-communicate with um, the airport and the airport with its operators. And again, the aviation industry, it traditionally is just in these things together. Um, and we want to see a thriving aviation market on the other side of this. And a, a key to that is over-communicate. Find a win-win if you can. The next topic is what we've been seeing is more illegal charter enforcement by the FAA, despite their partial slowdown that I talked about earlier with Part 135 conformity checks and their filing window for aircraft interests. Um, they are still aggressively enforcing illegal charter operations. And what I mean there, by the way, is that um, if an operator is transporting people or cargo for compensation or higher without obtaining an air carrier certificate, whether that's an FAR Part 135 charter license or a full Part 121 scheduled air carrier license. Uh, The general rule is if you're going to charge someone money to fly them somewhere with an airplane and pilot, you have to get one of those certificates. As the FAA looks at it from the passenger's perspective that uh, to protect the public, that's their mission, um, and, and protect the safety of the airways. And uh, they 
look at it that if someone's going to go up and pay somebody money to get from point A to point B and leave everything up to them, then they expect the FAA to regulate that provider to make sure everything is safe. And without having those licenses, then you don't have to abide by all those rules and regulations uh, that are meant for safety. So you can't always be sure what you're getting into. So the FAA will, if they find a violation of that, they can hit you with some very heavy fines. Uh, it's, I believe now around $11,000 or up to $11,000 per flight if you're a small business or an individual, and up to, I believe it's around $25,000 per flight for a large company. And that's per flight. So over time, those really add up and... Um, uh, we've seen them get into the to the millions of dollars. So if that's not bad enough, then if you have to make a claim through your insurance, the insurance can try to deny coverage because you are violating the federal aviation regulations, which is usually a carve out for for insurance coverage. And then, especially over the last several years, we've seen some in extreme cases where it's constant violators knowingly, knowing that they're doing this violation, uh, have even been sentenced with some prison time. And interestingly, the latest that we've heard on an FAA enforcement action was just on April 3, in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic, when the FAA announced that it was proposing a $1.5 million civil penalty against BEL Aviation of Odessa, Texas, for allegedly transporting passengers for hire without an air carrier certificate. Now, we've written for years about the, those potential catastrophic consequences I just mentioned about making illegal charter flights without getting a, uh, a, a license. Uh, and, and that can happen if you even do it unintentionally. And that's possible because um, the federal aviation regulations, they're supposedly designed for safety. And sometimes that can run counterintuitive to normal general corporate and accounting structures of setting up uh, subsidiaries to act as a flight uh, portion of the company, or if you have multiple owners of an airplane that are each using that, then under the federal aviation regulations, that can result in what looks like a charter operation to the FAA uh, and technically fits the charter operation of the FAA. And they will and have gone after people for doing that, even if it was inadvertent. Then, of course, there's this, the side where people do it knowingly. Because to get your charter license or, or airline license is very expensive and takes a lot of time and effort both to get it and to maintain it because you have to do a lot and you have to face a lot of restrictions for with the FAA providing that oversight, which, again, is designed for safety, so imagine that uh, if you're a charter operator spending all that time and effort and money to, to, keep every, to get the license and maintain it, and then another potential competitor, sometimes even on the same airport, starts charging people to fly them around without going through all those hoops and times and expense, then they, of course, can charge much lower prices, which is a big burden on the people that went through the whole process. So there has always been this tension and this risk of unauthorized charter operations. But for probably the decade or so, up until around 2018, we did not see a lot of enforcement action um, 
either attempted or proposed fines from the FAA. It happened, and when it happened, it was big, but it wasn't that common, much to the frustration of the actual licensed charter operators. But then in 2018, an organization called NATA, National Air Transportation Association, and that's an association of member companies that uh, their mission is to represent the interests of the general aviation business community. They formed an illegal charter task force uh, that tried working with the FAA and industry members and the flying public to try to educate them about the dangers and the risk of people offering these illegal charter flights and to try to get the FAA to do more enforcement action. And um, it seems like that has been effective because shortly after that, in 2018, the FAA proposed a $3.3 million fine against uh, the Hinman Company of Portage, Michigan for alleged illegal charter flights. And since then, we have been hearing more about high-profile uh, proposed penalties. The FAA has been actually publishing, publishing them on their website. Like in 2019, they issued a proposed $530,000 penalty against a company in Beverly Hills, California, which was the actually the third penalty proposed against that specific company. Uh, and now we have it this year, this one that just happened against BEL Aviation. And, um, you know, I, we suspect there's been a number more that either aren't published or we just don't hear about that get addressed more quietly. And even those are, are more than we were seeing before the probably about 10 years before that 2018. Uh, the FAA has also added a whole section to its website that talks about the dangers and the risks of an illegal charter and what a passenger, proposed passenger, can look for to, to spot these and the risks they pose to them. Uh, and they even include references to NADA and the illegal charter hotline that NADA has set up to report those illegal activities. So uh, pandemic or no pandemic, we are really trying to caution our clients more than ever, our non-charter clients, because the charter clients or airline clients uh, know what to do to get these licenses and maintain them uh, for safety and for legal compliance. But for our non-charter clients, uh, we're trying to really caution them to be very mindful of the limitations of charging or not charging for flights. And again, I said the general rule is you can't charge people for a flight, including an airplane with pilot, without getting one of those air carrier certificates. But there are some exceptions, limited exceptions, because if you're going to go for full profit, then of course you need to get one of those air carrier certificates. But there are some limited exceptions for um, uh, sharing costs or defraying costs. And um, they can be very helpful. And uh, in fact, I'll talk about one of those specifically in the next topic, but um, you have to be really careful about using them and setting them up in the right way. It's not that difficult, but if you don't get it right, then again, the FAA can and will come after you, even if it is inadvertent, and you can also face potential insurance denial. So the takeaway from there is even now in these rough times, the FAA still seems to be going after illegal charter operations. So for the non-charter non people, yes, you still have some limited options about being able to charge for some flights, 
but be very careful about how you do that and mindful that the FAA is looking more and more at those cases. And that brings us to our last topic of this episode, which addresses specifically one of those items where you can defray costs for carrying people or passengers legally and safely, if you do it right. There are just a few limited areas where you can do that, and Section 91.501 of the Federal Aviation Regulations provides most of those. One of the most popular one, even though limited, is what I call the two times fuel exception. And that is an operator can provide an airplane with pilot to fly somebody or, or cargo somewhere uh, and charge up to the cost of two times the fuel for that flight, plus some incidental flight expenses without having to get an air carrier certificate. Now that same section 91.501 also has several other limited but fairly useful cost-sharing provisions. However, that section and its exemptions has well is only available generally to operators of airplanes that are large airplanes, which means over 12,500 pounds, or multi-engine turbojets, or if the airplane is on a fractional ownership program like NetJets. Uh, especially nowadays, there's a lot of very popular, very efficient, useful, and comfortable smaller single-engine airplanes uh, that don't qualify for that exception, like the Pilatus PC-12, for example. Very popular and uh, would otherwise... A lot of their operators would love to use some of these exemptions, but generally not available unless it falls under this specially negotiated blanket exemption. Uh, and under th that was an exemption negotiated years ago between the Federal Aviation Administration and another trade organization called the NBAA, or the National Business Aviation Association. And if you, under that exemption, if you are a member of the NBAA and you're operating one of these smaller aircraft that doesn't fit under the specifics of the regulation itself, you can still take advantage of those limited cost-sharing provisions of Section 91.501, um, as, well, as long as you're A, a member, and then B, meet a few other additional requirements that aren't required for those uh, other operators. And those are not too burdensome. You have to go tell the local office of the FAA that you're doing this. You have to make entries in your logbook that you're operating the flights under this. Uh, and you have to get the FAA's approval for an inspection program for the airplane. But that has, been, that has worked out very well for owners of smaller aircraft that have not otherwise been able to use these provisions. Now, by its terms, this exemption letter has expired every two years. It's just been limited for two years, but it's been renewed every period since it started. And um, the, the, latest exemption, or the latest exemption letter had just run out March 31st of this year. And not surprisingly, the FAA issued an extension or reissuance of the exemption letter. Um, and it's effective for another two years until March 31st, 2022. And the exemption is pretty much the same, but this time they added two new provisions on there. The first one is that the, a member wishing to utilize this exemption 
has to now file an additional notice electronically with the FAA. And that was kind of interesting to me because under the previous exemptions forever, you still had to notify the FAA, but that was through the local flight standards district office. And this one is an electronic database. So I'm presuming it's to have a more centralized, open database that anyone within the system can locate and monitor, track, and if necessary, enforce more easily. And the second new twist is really a benefit for for the users. And that is that this exemption may now be used for international operations. And that was not specified before. And that caused confusion or understanding that you couldn't do that. And uh, this is very, so this of course is going to be helpful to operators wishing to use this. And it actually brings this in line with what a lot of other countries have already been doing. And if you'd like to read that full exemption letter, we provided a link to it on our, um, on our print version or electronic version of this newsletter, Aviation Space Alerts, which uh, you can look at if we sent it to you by email. Or if not, then you can go to our website, aviationspacelaw.com, and look for that link over on the right corner on the top menu bar for Aviation Space Alerts. And that wraps our first episode of the Aviation and Space Alert podcast. We welcome any feedback or comments or suggestions you might have, and we do invite you to subscribe to this on your favorite podcast platform. We currently don't have any set schedule that we plan to to issue these for our print or electronic version. Um, That's been non-periodic also. We've just sent those out whenever we've had something that we thought was interesting or important to disseminate um, or when somebody had something specific they wanted us to write about. But if enough people subscribe to this or just let us know that you want to hear more, then I'm sure we'll be happy to do that too. So until the next time, please everybody stay safe and we wish you all blue skies, strong tailwinds, and happy landings.